So you're kind of a perfect person to just yeah. hear talk about the flow of caliber cartridge application history future. I no, it changed. I mean, it, it, it does. It, it repeats itself big time. Um, when we go into it or, I mean, just getting right into it. I come out of the Marine Corps and, you know, we're 308 and we're shooting slow, methodical, you know, one shot, one kill, no more than three rounds before you displace, um, you know, that kind of mindset. So it's very methodical, like no, you know, efficiency of motion. Well, then years later, I get out and I get invited down to Rifles Only. We start the podcast or the website and you go down to Texas and at that time, yeah, everybody was still shooting 308s. Everybody was kind of copying the military sniper rifle, but they were shooting fast. They were racing and like rifles only had the, the uh, six at 600, uh, six plates, two MOA, 12 inch plates at 600 yards. And we used to race it all the time. And so the speed in that, and so then that starts to push us into the 308 slow, the 308 recoil pulse is slow. You have a heavy bullet going down range. And if it's going down a 26 inch tube, it takes a lot of time. People dismiss the time it takes from firing pin movement to bullet release. There's time. And why six millimeter? Why 22s right now? Speed. The faster it gets out, the shorter that time is, and the less likely something you're going to do is going to make a mistake and translate to the bullet. So we went from, like me personally, the 308s, shooting 308, shooting 308. Then I go to 260. So I'm just neck down 308 to 6.5. I mean, there's a guy on the site on the hide. He predicted the rise of the 6.5 in 2001. He was on a soapbox. We did a project called Ghost Dancer with Savages. Savage had the 10 FP in 260. They discontinued it. I went to SHOT Show and asked Savage if we can get access to those rifles. Savage sold me five of them at $250 a piece. And we did a 260 project and shot F class with it. Well, from the 260, then we saw it go to 243 because guys started showing up at rifles only with different twist 243s. And uh, you, I, I remember it. Uh, it, it was a uh, Hanosa, a guy came to rifles only was easily a high mid-pack shooter, like 50th place. He shows up with a 243 first time and top 10s it. Now everybody starts going, what the heck? Here's a 50th place shooter is now in the top 10 because he's got a 243. You know, so I did see this transition and we're constantly chasing calibers and cartridges and, you know, on the side, we were talking about what killed the 338. You mentioned the 338. Mm-hmm. The 338 is dead in our world right now. Nobody talks about it. Nobody cares about it. There's not, I mean, there's some legacy guys, but 
in any conversation with anybody buying something magnum-ish, 300 Norma, right? They want the 300 Norma, 300 Norma. And it's like, wow, this cartridge is so good. A 300 Norma is a 338 case. So if you put a different bullet in that 338 case, you would have a Norma. But instead, what happened was heavies. And I mentioned this on my podcast a lot. The 300 grain bullet killed the 338 because it's a struggle. It's a heavier recoil. It wasn't designed for that. And they went beyond the capacity. So then they try to reestablish replay with, and they go to the 300 Norma and they have a 215 or a 230 grain bullet back at the speeds. They wanted the 338 originally. The 338 was a 250 at the speed a 215 does in the Norma, but nobody wants to go back to that 338 and go lighter bullet and see what happens. Instead, they just went new caliber, new cartridge. Just like you said, you know, the army goes and specs an energy on target. And that's what brought, I mean, the energy on target for the uh, PSR program is what sort of bred the 300 PRC. Because they were playing with that 300 PRC for that program. And because it was an energy, not a cartridge. So, I mean, absolutely, we've seen these transitions change. But to me, what kills something is when guys try to go too heavy. And, you know, I think sort of a missing element right now is pairing the bullet caliber and speed to our uses. Right now, everybody just throws everything at something. Is this better? Is this better? You know, better A, better B, better A, better B. And we're seeing a ton of that, you know, better A, better B, better A, better B. What I mean, the same thing, Valkyrie versus Arc. You know, I'm playing with the Valkyrie a ton. The six millimeter Arc, was is trying to solve the exact same problem they tried to solve with the Valkyrie. They just sort of messed it up with the Valkyrie in the beginning with that gas gun stuff. And then that brought us to the six arc. Well, then, you know, we got six, five Creed more six Creed more. And we're trying to solve the same problem with those two calibers. I think there's sweet spots. In the sweet spots, we, we right now we're going outside of those sweet spots in the hunt. And for me, like a six five creed more, the seat the sweet spot is between 120 and 140. Actually, if I want to get technical, 123 and 139. In between in, there, in bullet weight. Yeah, in bullet weight. In between those two numbers are where you're going to find the better 6.5 Creed more performance. And that's like my own personal experience and going back like with the, I had really, really good success with the 130 prime, the 130 in that. I never had the same level of consistency with 143 and above, you know what I mean? Cause they're slower. 
And so when you look at the 140 class, anything 140, 143, one, even in the 147, although it's slower, it's like 2750. And then with the 147, you're at 2700 to 2650. To me, that's too slow. And that's where the inconsistencies come in. Think about the guys you've met or talked to that struggle with software. Mm-hmm. They dope their rifle out. Everything goes smooth. They don't have any problem. They, they chronograph it. They got a, a sub single digit SD. They hand loaded. Everything's good. And then the chronograph is a bit of a struggle, or not the chronograph. The software is a bit of a struggle to get every yard line to match up. Mm-hmm. It's like, this one's off a little, this one's not right. And, and they're kind of compromising. I'm good at a thousand. I'm a little weird at 800, but I'm okay at six and four, you know, and they have this weirdness going on with software. To me, that's because the bullet's not performing correctly at its optimal speed. It's almost like a hiccup in there that shouldn't happen, but does. And I don't know why, but I think it's a velocity because, you know, I, like I'm, I'm doing the Valkyrie and they're pushing the Valkyrie factory because of gas guns at 2750. Well, I stumble across a guy and I've been talking about this speed wins, speed wins, speed wins. And in a sniper's hide member, Loads his Valkyrie to 29.50. Well, he meets me in a class in Pennsylvania, hands me the rifle and says, here's my Valkyrie. He has a beautiful MPA, vision chassis, tricked out rifle. And um, gives me his load, 29.50, 85 fives with the Valkyrie. The gun is insane. It's accurate. It's consistent. It is hammering. So as you know, I come back here and I do a load with the 85 fives. I got them going 30, 25. Mm-hmm. I drop that information into my software. So I dope the rifle out. I just do my load this week. I drop that information into my program and it immediately trues up. I don't tweak it. I don't fuck with it. It's my published numbers immediately works. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. Why is this so accurate? Because I've doped Valkyries before. I've doped several versions of it. I've doped the 88s. I've doped the 75s. And I've doped the 90s. All between a gas gun and a bolt gun. I've never had this ease doping my rifle software-wise to line up. Because it's the difference between my 90 grain load at 2785 and now this 85.5 load at 30.25. And to me, 29.50 is that sweet spot. But I just happened, I settled on 30.25. Little longer barrel. So in my mind, that's clues. Mm-hmm. Why does this work better? Well, because that's where it wants to be. Why does this struggle? Because we're outside the sweet spot. And... I think we can explore pairing these combinations better. I mean, a lighter bullet is less recoil. What guys in the comps are trying to do is see more, have less recoil, use four port brakes. Well, if you went a little lighter, you're going to see more. Lighter's flatter, lighter bucks the win. I mean, going back to the 338 model, 
I, you know, we'll get people from mile high and, and they'll buy the rifle and then they'll say, Hey, I want to shoot it and do all this. And, and, you know, Randy or somebody call me up and say, Hey, Frank, this guy wants to come out to the range. All right, sure. No problem. And they always show up with 300 grain bullets. And I go, okay, dude, we dope the rifle out and we get to 1500 and they start to struggle. 1500 to struggle, 1600 to struggle more a thou or a mile is, is hit, miss, 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 hit, hit, miss, 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 hit with these guys. Now, some of them are, are fundamentals, but some of them are not. So then when I'm done with them, I go into the Connex and we got that spark ammo that's there, that their gray boxes in the back wall. And there's a bunch of 338. And I, and I pull a box of two fifties out, dude, here's two fifties. Let's do what we just did where you struggled with the 250s. And let's go and revisit 1500. Hit, 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 miss. Hit, 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 miss. Okay, let's go to the 1600 in the mile. Hit, 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 hit. Let's go to the mile. Hit, miss. Hit, 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 miss. Hit, 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 miss. You know what I mean? And it, it, that's the difference that I see when you change up these bullets to sort of match the rifle a little bit better and to maintain the speeds to where that caliber wants it. So that's my rant on what I'm seeing with those speeds. Yeah. I mean, you, and you can see it, right. When, when we went out to the range and you were putting this Valkyrie load together, the, elevation the groups the, the consistency of hitting small targets at distance was there um and and i messed around with the 223 and the 224 um but i'm really impressed because it's performing there's no pressure right i mean because because the barrel life is extremely high still but 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 yeah people are kind of leaving Right, something happened to the Valkyrie, and it and it vanished. And now all of a sudden, there's a new, I don't know, the the latest cartridge that's being talked about now is the new seven PRC, right? Right, and and that's a great thing. I mean, Hornaday smart. They went six five PRC, which some people say they burned the barrel out because it's the speed. Why? Because they wanted speed. George wanted mm -hmm. speed with the six five SOM four S, and then it turned into the PRC. So that's kind of a barrel burner. But the the straight pipe on the 300 and with a little bit on the 7 they have, that's a little more efficient. So now they should go to a place to not just throw heavies at the 7 and go with something a little more practical. I mean, a good example with the 7 is when we shot ASC uh, from 2002 or so, 2003, I got to look at my T-shirts to about 2007, eight, I shot Allegheny Sniper Challenge. And at some point with Gardner and all the team gap guys and all that, we all switched to seven wisms. So I have my seven wisdom here. I got my load and the whole thing. Well, those guys were doing 180s at 3050. I did 175s at 2900 even. And trended with them because it was a little less recoil for me, a little bit better barrel life. And I kind of balanced where I was with the sevens 
rather than just going to the 180. Now, 30, 50 is a great number. You get 180, you're just going to burn the barrel out a little bit. <laughs> but I think like the sevens, I mean, it's one of the reasons. How many people talk about seven millimeter 08, 708, 708? Well, it's because they don't have a bullet for it. Like if they made the right bullet for that, all those guys that want to do the 708, they'd be able to. So now that they have the 7 PRC, I think it's really on that job to find like the sweet spot for the bullet. Maybe it is the 156 because you can get the speed up and you're doing that. I mean, it, it, like a 162 or in there is the hunting load. So maybe for that speed that I'm talking about, it is like a 56, but maybe you find it's in the 65 zone. 180 is a little heavy, 180 in there. Maybe it's a 172, you know, and that's kind of where we're dependent on two or three people to tell us what bullet we're going to use. You know, whoever the engineer guys who decide, hey, we're going to use this all of a sudden, it's like, that's our choice because none of us can go out and build our own bullet really and, and say, hey, I'm going to, we can experiment with loads and speed. But when it comes to the bullet, we can't experiment with weight that way. But we do it anyway when we can. You know, like you'll get the six fives, every oh, the 140, 143, 136. To me, the perfect six five Creedmoor bullet is the 136 Cenar. It's pretty forgiving with the load. It's got a high BC that's up in the 140 zone, but you can get speed out of it. You know what I mean? So that to me is where like our center point for a six, five Creedmoor should be. Mm -hmm. And, and I've seen it, like you said, for years that people chase these calibers. I saw the guys with the three Oh eights, the one fifty fives at 28 to 2,900 feet per second, very similar to a six, five. Now you could do the one eighty fives with the powder. I talk about my 2000 MR load with the one eighty five. that puts the one eighty five in a really good accuracy node at 2,700 feet per second. So we've been shooting 175s at 2,650. If I can get a 185 at 2,700, that's kind of, you know, rebalancing that curve a little bit for the 308. Bullets have gotten better. Powders have gotten better. Our barrels are better. So that allows us to kind of tweak these loads a little bit and and I don't know. I just think that, you know, kind of balancing it to find it where the rifle recoils the way you want it to, you hit the target to, to, with enough energy, you know, for the Valkyrie at 2750 doesn't hit things hard enough mm -hmm. at 2950. They do. And I mean, that's why the 22 GTs are working for people. The 22 Creedmoors are working for people because they threw the velocity at 3,000 feet per second. Now it's smacking stuff hard. So I've actually taken my Valkyrie and turned it into the same thing as a 22 GT or a 22 Creedmoor because I brought that speed up 200 feet per second. Now you look at Whalen, Brian Whalen, he was shooting his Valkyrie with 88s around, you know, 2,800 feet per second, that 2,750 to 2,800. He got 9,000 rounds out of his Valkyrie. So that's huge. Yeah, that's crazy huge because we're all running around in the 2,500 zone. 
And everybody's, you know, oh, crowing about 3,000 or the heavy Bartland barrel stuff, you know. But if you want to do a game gun and you can get, let's call it 7,500 rounds of barrel life out of your game gun with a 22 variant, mm-hmm. all we're doing is touching steel, you know. So to me, there's there's some benefit in looking at that stuff. And, and that's where I'm kind of solving a little bit with that Valkyrie. I mean, you see me shoot it. It, it does it limit me in any way? No, no. And the lack of recoil allows you know, the visibility and um, spotting everything as, as long as there's the energy to move the steel. But from what I've seen on the plates that we have out, you know, at, at the range, you're moving the plates. There, there's nothing that we're shooting with a six, five that you can't see the exact same thing with your rounds shooting 85 grain. Bullet. On, on, so, so, yeah. Yeah. Pawnee with those big, like, surplus plates on that 1,475 yard stage. They have those big plates that go out. Those are the only ones I've noticed I can't move at the old speed. Mm-hmm. You know, those, 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 those are where I got bit. Yeah. Those don't move much anyway. And, and most of the time with Mirage, it's pretty hard to, it would be fun to go back out there and, and test it with these speeds. Yes. Compare side by side impacts with those big heavy plates. Um, but it, but it's interesting because now you're talking about optimizing speed and bullet weight and then the recoil, you've got less recoil so you can have a lighter rifle and maneuver it faster without needing the mass to hide the recoil impulse. So you could have a lighter gun that ballistically has um, high performing as another another round but now you have maneuverability at your side so i think that opens a lot of cool doors for um different styles and applications you know if if i mean there aren't there aren't matches that take advantage of that but it's hard to move around a heavy rifle but if you've got a lighter rifle let's say you've got a your valkyrie if it's 15 16 pounds versus 22 pound rifle you'll be able to maneuver faster and have the exact same drivability which which to me seems pretty exciting do you think that's like with the heavier stuff do you think that some of these are being developed because people are shooting heavier rifles or are they just doing it because they're trying to maximize energy oh you mean on like the seven or on some yeah, of yeah the, on the seven the, the, the heavier, seven i think yeah. is more of the hunting and the hunter um and then ELR, because sevens do really well at ELR. Um, I know I've shot my Wisdom to uh, 2000, and it was super predictable uh, as far as that. So I see the seven as um, it's for those recoil averse guys that don't want to go to the 338 into that, but can still kind of get there um, and hunt with it as well. So I do see a need for the seven because the hunters love the seven and, and that's going to be big for them that they can go like that. But I mean, yeah, lighter to me, light is right with our movement. And, and especially if you're going to move over land and you're, and you're going to do all that. I mean, our guns are so, I mean, weight is stability. So a 22 pound rifle shooting a six millimeter is going to be hella accurate. Um, because it doesn't move, but then like you said, you have to carry it you have to maneuver it. So if I can drop down my weight five pounds, then I'm in a better place that way for, for moving. 
Uh, but like you said, there's no recoil and I don't see. So my rifle is balanced, not necessarily weighted. I have the, um, I have two weights up by the nose and I have them up high cause I have a round tube on my JP chassis. So all I did is put two of their weights up forward about three inches back is my balance point, And that balances me for the bag. So the only weight I added was to balance for the bag. And once my balance was hit, then I was good. I didn't have to sweat adding any more to, like you said, mask the recoil or mask the shot. It was at that point, it was just balance the rifle out and go to town because it does not recoil. It's an 85 grain bullet, you know? Right. Right. I mean, it, it's hard to just thinking about it that way. It's hard to imagine a downside, especially when ballistically you're performing, you're outperforming the six millimeters to a thousand at least at those speeds. At my in range terms of wind. Yeah. My, my, I'm, I'm a, at 600 yards, I'm a seven mile an hour gun at a thousand. I'm a four to five mile an hour gun, like four and a half, almost five. Mm-hmm. Um, so for wind speed, but I'm a seven at 600 and my elevation, I'm 2.6 at 600. I'm 6.8 at a thousand with a density altitude of 7,000 feet. So density altitude, 7,000 feet, muzzle velocity, 30, 25, 85, five, go run the numbers because they're straight in off the box right now. And I'm six, eight to a thousand yards. I was eight mils at the 1125 and I shot 10 rounds on it and kept all 10 rounds on the plate. Um, you know, just to 10 in a row, uh, at 1125. And I had about a four mile an hour wind and I was holding the left ear. So I was really only holding about a two mile an hour worth of wind, but there was four I read out there when I doped it out, uh, the other day when I was out. So that, those were my numbers. For that's really that's really good. The problem is, you know, the Valkyrie doesn't seem as popular in getting brass. So as this trend starts to happen, w- which cartridges do you think are gonna kind of take that place and fill in that zone? Uh, you probably can do it with a six arc. Um, although I I personally don't see the slow speed of the six millimeter. I like the flexive. I'm a six Creedmoor guy, but I do think efficiency. If somebody wants to do six millimeter, the GT is a balanced cartridge. It almost puts you where it needs to be. I just put a GT. I had my old um, gap team rifle, uh, the six Creedmoor. It was the uh, Bravo Delta, the one with the gain twist, left-hand gain twist barrel. So I burnt that barrel out and I burnt that rifle. I'd actually broke that action. Um, I nuked it so bad. And I sent it in to um, Caleb over at Alpha Omega. And he redid it in a 6GT for me. And everything I'm seeing with the 6GT puts you right where you want to be. without ha- Like, it's no hunt. Just do the 6GT. It's good. Um, I think it's an efficient cartridge. It should be pretty good barrel life and not really nuke you. But I think it, it, like I says, it sort of preloads you into a smart place. And that's what I felt with the six, five by 47. I mean, the six, five by 47, I thought was terrible. I thought it should have been a six by 47. 
I mean, Mark shoots the six five by forty seven, and I have one here. Um, but I think it's a terrible round. I think it's accurate, but it's slow. And moving it to the six was perfect. A six GT like is a six by forty six. It's nearly identical to the six by forty seven. You know, the six five by forty seven, just neck down. Um, so I think there's, you know, that to me is an example of bad idea or, you know, a six, five Grendel is another one. A six, five Grendel should be a 22 Grendel or a six millimeter Grendel at the most. A six, five Grendel was wrong, which is why it didn't survive successfully. It serves, it, it survives by sheer will today. <laughs> Same with the Valkyrie. The Valkyrie is going to go the same route as the 6.5 Grendel. My daughter's kids probably won't see a Valkyrie. However, to me, that's the same as that Grendel. The Grendel was too small for too big a bullet, and they were trying to do something, thinking they can float that bullet out there. But BC's tied to speed. When they went to the G7, people tried to say it wasn't speed-dependent. That's bull. The speed is still part of the BC. And, and so that's where the problem lied. That when everybody went into this G7 model, they thought they can throw speed out the window and it didn't happen. And so, you know, 6.5 Grendel should be a 22 Grendel. Uh, 6.5 by 47 should be a 6 millimeter, which is the 6 GT. You know, and you can even do 22 GT with that 6.5 by 47 because it's so tiny. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's barely a, a, a short action caliber. Right, right. And you, you know, people are trying to do that, right? So with the Valkyrie and all of the 22 BR, 22 GT, 22 Creed, all, they're, they're basically trying to do what you've been talking about, which is get that bullet going at the optimal speed. Right? Yes. Get a, get, a, get a lighter or a heavy get a bullet going fast enough with a piece of brass. They don't have to mess with. Right. Right. But then you run into some trouble with, with powder density and burn rates. So with a, I like the idea of a heavy 22 caliber going faster Mm -hmm. just because of the numbers that we've seen, like the numbers that you're getting out of your Valkyrie are amazing. And the numbers that some of the guys around here with their 22 GTs are, are really spectacular, but, but nobody settled in on, the right case for something like that it's 2950 to basically 32 you know what i mean or 3150 is where you want to be you want to be between 2950 and 3150 with that bullet is what i would say i mean you probably i I haven't played with that 2850 2850 might be right because 2850 is a balance point for a lot of bullets um but i really think 2900 on the 22s is working better for what everybody's doing. Uh, what I'm seeing is that 29 and above and they were at 2750 and that's why it's going to be a dead cartridge. Now, same thing with the six, five Grendel too slow, you know, to me, the six arc might go the same way. Although the, the, the six millimeter seems to be carrying the accuracy a little better. Uh, at the lower numbers, because I mean, think about it, the, out of the gas guns, they're like 2450, 2500. It's like, who wants a 2550, 2600, whatever your number you get, 
six millimeter. I don't want that. No, you know, no, not no, unless no. I'm going super light. You know, give me an, an 85 grain, six millimeter, or 90 grain, 94, what is it? 94, 95 grain and maybe, but you know, I, I've told people a couple times and some have done it. Try the 123 grain in the 65 mm-hmm. and tune that load. Nobody says you got to scream it at 3100. Bring it down to 29, even 2950, right in there. Even 28 will work, but um, 2850 rather. But 29, 2950 with a 123 and tune it right there. Just like they're doing with the dashers, they tune the dashers. You know, that 2850, uh, that kind of stuff. So all I'm saying is take your six fives and tune them faster. And I think it'll work a little better for some guys. They'll get a little extra barrel life. They'll, they'll, they'll get a flatter drop and drift and less recoil. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to me, this, this whole conversation never gets, never gets old because at distance – which is why yeah, I tested out the arc and I don't, I don't like it in gas guns because the wind number is so low and anything that we're shooting at distance, right. We're, we're dealing with needing to know the distance and then needing to manage the wind between here and there. And our ability to read that wind deteriorates with distance. So the higher the wind number, the more likely you're going to, be close to where you're aiming, even if your wind is off by a little bit, right? So maintaining that sweet spot of wind variability or, or, um, maybe, or, well, or, it's or, knowing where your number changes. Like with me, when yeah. I was shooting the Valkyrie, the nineties in the Valkyrie at 2785. Okay. I know I have a like a, uh, a five mile an hour gun to one number I have. And then it, like now with the new numbers, I have a seven mile an hour gun at six, but I have a five mile an hour gun at eight. And I'm right on the edge of a four mile an hour gun at a thousand. I need to know where those transitions were. So now with this new load, it's like 800 is where it changes. Well, with the old Valkyrie load, it changed around six, seven. And with the 75 grain load, the factory 75 grain ammo, it changed at five. So your wind call was good to 500 yards. Then you had to know, okay, now I got to drop down a mile per hour to go to here. And so like for me with these slower calibers, it's knowing where it changes. So today I know with this new load, I am good to 800. And then at 800, I got to change my wind calls to five miles an hour, mm-hmm. you know? And if I don't know that, and I think, well, I'm doing my numbers, I go to seven or 600 yards and I plug everything into the computer. It's going to tell me I got a seven mile an hour gun, mm-hmm. but I don't have a seven mile an hour gun after that. You know, I do until I get to about eight and then I better know it's going to change. And that's where I think people don't keep up. They know they do their gun number, but then they don't do their gun number at eight and a thousand because that's where some transitions start to go. To me, the sweet spots are three, six, and eight. I want to know my 300 yard stuff because my weaponized math and my data starts there. That's when different effects start to come into play at 300. 
Then I'm going to know my 600 because that's that muzzle velocity. That's your wind dump number. 600 is where we do a ton. It's a good, it's a good lab. Then my other one is 800. I can call it a thousand, but like on our range, a thousand sucked until we moved it over because we had that defilade and it was hard to see things. But a thousand now I have a new location and it's actually better to spot. So I'm liking it. But before 800 was good. I could do my BCs at 800 and I can look at my transitions at eight. So I always look at three, six, and eight. And now with this new load, I'll push it out to a thousand or 1200 to see what it does. Like I did the 1125, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, and then just, just to clarify for people that, you know, we, we, cause we all talk about wind slightly different, but the way I think about it is like, if you have a seven mile an hour gun at 700 yards, one mile an hour change is going to move your bullet impact one tenth in your reticle. So what that means though, is that, that after that one mile an hour is going to move it just a little bit more than a tenth, and it's going to increase linearly as you go out with distance. And so the, the, what speed moves it a tenth um, gets smaller with, but 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 the, that initial number, if you have a five mile an hour gun at, at 500 yards, one mile an hour variation in wind is going to move that bullet a tenth. So if you can read the wind to plus or minus two miles an hour at the gun number, you're going to add a tenth to your group size. So having a faster gun number gives you more wiggle room for being wrong and keeping the target size the same. And so I guess like if, if we, if I have a, which is what, which is kind of what happened when we went to Pawnee with, 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 a, you know, with my AR is that with your hit percentage and the amount of, of, of movement of that bullet per change in miles per hour caused my hit percentage to go down with my AR versus uh, the, the six, five Creedmoor. So, but, but essentially what you've done with your Valkyrie is made a two, two, three or a two, two, four bullet, right? A 85 grain bullet as good as my six, five Creedmoor at dealing with wind to about 800 yards. Yeah. Which, which is, which is like, you're, you know, which is amazing because now you take this rifle that has, you know, medium recoil in the six, five and eliminate recoil in the two, two, four. My guess is if it was an equal comparison, if I could shoot against myself, I would outshoot myself with the Valkyrie compared to me shooting with the six, five Creedmoor if we're shooting 800 yards and in. And I think that that, that kind of, um, kind of game play or, or thought, thought process with a ballistic calculator and some paperwork really justifies looking at some of these numbers because uh, when it comes down to one or two or three points or when it comes down to, you know, at the very beginning, you were saying like, you know, one shot, if, if one shot really matters, you want to justify all of the variables that could be wrong in your favor. And, and this puts a smaller bullet going faster in, in that zone, which is kind of makes me really interested in trying to, test out the 123s um in the 65 creedmoor uh to see if if a little more speed could reduce recoil but increase 
that wind resistance. And I, I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and, you know, what I noticed too, is even like what at the guardian and moving around, you know, I brought the heavier rifle. I brought the six Creed with the weighted system in the 22 pound gun. I feel a little bit better at the end of the day with the lighter rifle. When I shoot the lighter stuff, it's like, okay, I don't feel as nuked at the end of the day, lugging the heavier rifles around the range. You know what I mean? Even, even just from that standpoint, I'm a little fresher and I can maneuver the lighter rifles. Like I don't do as well with the heavier ones than I do with the lighter ones. Anytime I've taken a smaller, lighter rifle to one of the comps, I tend to be probably three to five more spots up the the leaderboard than when I take the heavier rifles. Um, and that's just me because I'm smaller. And I think what happens is even though I'm, I can technically be more accurate with my heavier ones, I think it wears me down and I fall apart quicker. I start making the mental mistakes we've been talking about and I'll start like screwing up tiny ways that I don't see in the lighter rifle. Cause I think I'm a little fresher. Mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah. that's really interesting actually. You know, um, Francis Cologne and Chad Heckler, they, they have a podcast and they're, they're two PRS shooters that shoot PRS basically exclusively. And, and Francis works for applied ballistics, but they just, I, I just had a phone call with them and they were saying that at the level that, that they're competing at, everybody's shooting extremely accurately. So what's separating the game for them? And they're both very high performers. It's, it's not, I mean, they have to maintain perfect NPA, perfect trigger press, but they've started to shoot suppressed because of what you're saying. The mental fatigue of 10 stages a day with concussive blast, they can tell the difference in their ability to focus at the end of the match at a higher level and maintain high hit percentage where some shooters start off with maybe a slightly higher hit percentage, but by the end of the day, after all those um, uh, concussive kind of blasts, their attention span isn't able to stay at that high level and their performance dips off. So people are, people are seeing that kind of anecdotally, but now they're starting to shoot suppress, which I thought was an interesting move, but their performance is kind of speaking to, okay, they've optimized their system. Now, how do you maximize your ability to do it all day or two or three days in a row. And, you know, the, the light rifle for sure is, is, uh, one, I mean, shoot, carrying around heavy weight all day. Well, that's a use. You would see it. I, because of my size, Mm -hmm. if I have to keep up with you, anything could be climbing the wall behind you. could be doing, I have to maintain what I'm doing and carrying Cause it's going to wear me down quicker than it's going to wear you down. Mm-hmm. So I have to be real conscious of my load when I'm doing activities that run alongside guys like you. Cause my level of being in shape is one thing, but my level being in shape equal to you. Like if we're just running and I'm in shorts, you're in shorts. I got my sneakers. You got my sneakers. I can maintain with you. 
But now if you give me 25 pounds and you give you 25 pounds, where I put that 25 pounds compared to you could be a huge difference. If you let me put it high up on my shoulders and up by my neck, I'll be okay for a, a longer period of time. But if you tell me I got to hold it in my hand and carry it, now I'm going to be dragging down a little bit. So part of the thing that people don't realize and why I see things like with fundamentals and recoils and stuff like that different is because I know for me, I can't do what you do, but I can see how that affects things because I'm looking at it for me and I'm able to see when the rifle starts recoiling weird or when guys start getting sloppy, even with the class with Mark, you know, he'll be like, Hey, do we want to do this? I'll be like, no, they're nuke, dude, let's call it. And I can see people getting nuked and it might be three 30 in the afternoon and not four 30 in the afternoon. This particular group is tired now. And we call the day because then they're not learning anymore after that, mm -hmm. you know? So to me, there's, there's an element of balance that I have to be more conscious of than a bigger guy. And I think that might be why I split these hairs a little different. And I noticed the recoil pulses and how to play those games a little bit more because somebody's going to put me on a 338 and expect me to demonstrate recoil the same way as, you know, the six foot five guy would. I can't show a difference in recoil between him and me. And that'll happen in class all the time. There'll be a big guy who'll bring a big gun who'll be getting kicked around with it. And Mark or somebody will be like, Frank, come shoot this guy's gun and embarrass him. You know, because I'll manage that recoil on that big gun and the muzzle won't move the same. Because I understand where my body position has to be. And I understand I might have to hold it a certain way where I won't tell you to do that unless I see it. But... That's why, like, my classes resonate that I'm not doing the, the thing you won't ever hear me say unless it's a specific place or at least in the front of the class in the beginning before somebody asks me a question. You won't hear me say, this works for me. You should do it because what works for me doesn't work for everybody else. I'm smaller by a lot. You know, we're not splitting hairs where, like, I'm 5'8". You know, and when I'm talking about a six foot guy, you know, five, two talking about somebody five, eight, even, or then six foot is a big swing in difference. So what works for me won't work for them. Instead, I know what the high level, like shoulders in front of the hips, you know, let's talk about that for recoil management. Your shoulders need to be in front of your hips. That's, that's a high level thing. I can tell you that's not specific to Frank. Which is, and I think that's really, I mean, you know, all this circles back to the fact that you've been doing this long enough where a lot of it is subconscious and intuitive now. And it's fun to be able to see because at, at classes where you have beginners, you can pick that out. But when we're doing an assessment together, you're still picking that out. And not only are you picking it out, but we're taking numbers down and, and your assessments, they line up to the numbers that we're gathering. So it's, it's pretty cool to be starting to put some of these numbers and science to a lot of the things that you kind of intuitively know. And that, that's why it's cool to hear about these caliber bullet speed selection and, and just have, have these conversations. Cause I, I think they're helpful 
not not only to tell people or, or help guide people towards making decisions on their own, but understanding how things shift and that maybe to make better decisions and choices towards the goals that, that they're trying to make. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I look at it like tuning a guitar in a lot of ways, you know, it's like when you're first tuning that guitar and you're hitting the string, the, the, the sustain is wrong. And when you get to the tune, the sustain stays like, you know what I mean? It's like the note drags out sustain. Like it's like there, that note sustains. And to me, balancing the rifle, getting that recoil right and all that is that sustaining of the note. I mean, we're playing a musical instrument with our guitars. The harmonics are the notes and how you press that trigger is the note on a trumpet. You know what I mean? So if you press it the same way every time the note comes out and sustains, when you mm-hmm. screw the note up, it's interrupted. It's cutting it off in the harmonics and the vibration through the entire gun system, because the harmonics aren't just in the barrel, right? We got barrel harmonics attached to a metal action, attached to a metal trigger with metal pins. So that harmonics transfers all the way through. It's why guys like the foundation stocks now, right? They're dampening harmonics. And so the harmonics transfers through. So when you're pressing that trigger fundamentally, you're playing that note. And that's why you want to, I want to see the sustain in your recoil pulse. I want to see how you run that recoil. And that's why, like you're saying, I can see things. And the funny thing, how you say it is how I'll mention something and it immediately translates downrange to the target. And you know, Hey, this happened. Yeah. We see it downrange. Well, at my classes, you know, people will say to us all the time, like in the fundamental eval, we'll do a final eval at the end. And every student says, well, what target do we shoot? And the final one, I said, I don't care. Shoot whatever target you want. I'm not looking at that. If you do what's right, I know you're going to get the hits. I don't care about downrange at this point. I'm watching you. If you execute, that hit's going to be there. And that's why we're able to put Mark and I on either side of someone go through these fundamentals and not necessarily sweat what the target looks like downrange. And that's, that's actually the difference between like my class and a lot of other classes. I watch the shooter, other people watch the target. Yeah. And you you can tell that right away. I I mean, I'm not sure how many people that listen to my podcast have taken your class or not, but, but the the very, the very first time I went out and, kind of shadowed one of one of your classes out at out at um fort morgan you could tell that immediately which which i think is pretty cool and you know whatever the discipline is you can kind of tell even you know right with musicians they they can tell right away from just having done it for so long it's pretty it's pretty cool to watch and the corrections are almost always exactly what the shooter needs which which is which is pretty cool yeah, I mean, every now and then we miss like something in the stock and, and it may even be that second pair of eyes, you know, like Mark will come behind me and I'll be like, man, he's doing something and I can see the hiccup, but I don't know where it is. Like I see it, but I'm not acknowledging it. 
And he'll come over and go, oh, shit, dude, that's loose. Or, oh, look, this is that. Here's where it is. And he'll see it because it's just kind of, but we're watching that focus and we're looking for the hiccups. And we've trained ourselves to watch that person and to translate their workspace and the movement within their workspace to what's happening downrange. I know what the movement in his workspace is supposed to look like. And if it's not, I know what it's doing downrange. And if I can fix that movement to get that straight line I'm looking for inside of his workspace, I could walk away because I know the hits are coming. Then it's just wind. You know, then I work the wind, work the wind, work the wind. Right, right. And that, that's kind of like a neat transition point because once, once somebody maintains that proficiency and they do make the transition, that's, that's where like the unconventional, the USA comes in where we start measuring what the bullet's doing. And it's like the other side of the picture. Yes. It's like how good your wind reading, how good your movement, how good your memory, how good your stress mitigation in your transition. Yes. The USA, the Riflecraft USA is attaching the bullet to that shooter's brain. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We want to make sure that bullet is attached to that guy's brain every time he fires and where that process is. We're looking at his process because what we're doing is not an event. It's a process, right? It's not a single event. We're doing something over time, over and over and over again. So we're, right. we're, we're fine-tuning the process. So the final thing we're looking at, okay, we wire you up fundamentally. We get the mechanics down. We get that. And that's muscle memory. That's your reps. You know, that's us being in a car. If I move a seat or mirror, you're going to know because you sit in that car so much, right? So we get your reps. We get that going on. But then we start attaching that bullet to that person's brain, and we see the process that gets that bullet to the target. How is his brain process working to make sure that bullet hits the same way every time? And we're just cleaning up that line. Now, you know, we're erasing the extra branches and we're making it a straight line. So from the moment he comes up and there's his shooting problem, that his answer is is, is quickly and efficiency as possible. Efficient. Right. And and it's shaken out really really well so so those those kind of two approaches really complement one another which is which is cool i'm excited for 2023 it's gonna be pretty amazing when yeah these things start rolling out oh huge man it's it's it was quick how fast it lights people up and when i saw it too because it's it's a method and all we do is recognize trends and patterns i'm looking at trends and patterns in your recoil right? I'm looking at your process. So now we start looking at the trends and patterns and even now adding in the plate, looking at the target, because we're not just looking at the hit, we're measuring it. So Mm -hmm. it's different to say, I look at the shooter, I'm watching the shooter where somebody else watches the target. Okay, cool. Well, I've watched the shooter. Now I'm going to transition and score the target. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm watching it is by score. I'm not letting you get away with any hit is equal to any other hit. You know, a hit at five o'clock on the corner of the plate isn't the same as a hit center in the wind. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where 
bringing your side and in, in working that and to get people with their speed and then focusing closer to the center of the plate, regardless of its size. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, we're getting those alternate positions and through the USA and the scoring and what your sheets and the score sheet and the way you're scoring it like a match that just immediately laser points it. Right. Yeah. And it applies to everyone because that that's the kind of thing that puts much more confidence in a hunt that somebody's invested time and money in and just about every application, right. Understanding that you're trying to go for the center and what, what can optimize you getting a center hit. Um, and it, and it's working. I mean, we're showing it already. So. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and it needs the, 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 the two prong multi prong. It's actually more than two, but I mean, we're kind of br- calling it two, but we're, right. we're being coy with it, but it's a multi prong approach that I don't think one person can accomplish. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, it, I don't think any of this really works with one set of eyes. You need no. multiple set of eyes that are looking at things in more than one way. And, and that's kind of the beauty of, 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 you know, being in the same place and having the range there and being able to bring people in and, and put them together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's shaping up pretty good. Yeah. Man, yeah. I'm psyched for the side-by-side to get out there too, so we can blast around and should a couple days, man, it should be two days from now. They told me the 29th. So I should be there Saturday. But uh, I have no long, how, no clue how long we've been talking. But <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just I have an alarm when it when it's time to. Uh, oh, do you? Okay, good. Then we're keeping roundup. Oh, is that what it is? Well, no, yeah, I mean, I, I got like fifteen minutes. Oh, okay. So no, it's it's just like you know we're constantly trying to improve this to make it a little better. I, you know, you came over this week and. And we laid out all the papers that we have that we, you know, that are necessary. And it, 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 it's back to old school. You talked about how did things change from the beginning when I first came up? Well, when I first came up, your data book was your Bible. But now we've kind of reduced it down where, you know, like I'll dope a new rifle with the weaponized math. And so I have the weaponized math sheets in the flow chart. So that's always with me because it's easy. But once the weaponized math is done with that rifle, then it goes into the computer. And I have to do my process of getting my computer trued up because the computer is going to give me the odd ranges. The computer is going to give me the travel. So Mm -hmm. then the weaponized math sheet kind of goes away. Well, then we go into the wind sheets, right? I got the wind bracket sheet and the wind cosine sheet. So, mm-hmm. or actually I should back up a minute. Once the weaponized math is there and it's put into the computer, I'm still going to back my computer up and I have that come up sheet and the come up sheet we added in is every 25 yard increments, right? That, that mm-hmm. works for the one MOA guys. Cause 25 yards is their adjustment. You know, every 10 yards is a 10th of mil and mm-hmm. that 25 yards goes to the, um, the MOA guys, but 25 yards is a good number. You know, mill guys, we should be doing 10 yards. Anyway, we do that come up sheet. Well, then we go into wind and in our wind sheets is our bracket and our wind rows, right? So now you have your brackets. So you know where your brackets are. And then you have your wind rows to do the wind. It's speed and direction. 
And we have those solved. So we were able to boil a sort of a data book down into what's important. Well, doping your rifle is important. And then managing the wind's important. Mm-hmm. And those are your two um, things. And then software, how you manage your software and your data is, is the key. And, and, but I mean, it's still going back to writing it down. It's still going back to keeping notes. Um, it's all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting how much is going back to hard kind of writing th- writing things down from just putting it into the Kestrel. It seemed like at first, I mean, it seemed like it got to a point where everybody just wanted to hold their Kestrel. But now with speed and and in some more intuitive transitions, um, going back to writing it down to a certain extent, writing down your wind brackets or your, your numbers um, does actually still make the most sense in a lot of scenarios and rather than just relying on a computer. Yeah. And I do think we can probably figure out a better and smarter way of data management, even on an arm bar, like an arm bar is great. I'm a huge fan of the arm bar, but I, I almost think we can lay the arm bar out different where it would be sort of the data book idea and model of those pre-printed pages. But I almost think like you can have a bar that would give you number one targets for order. Cause I mean, the mental mistakes we've talked about have been huge and mm-hmm. us kind of digging into the mental aspect of it and creating scenarios to trip people up. Well, if we can manage that data as well and figure out what is the most logical order. And that's the next thing, you know, uh, of just our arm bar. You know, maybe there is a wind rose on the arm bar that gives you multiple targets and directions and manages the wind in a more visual way where you could flip up on it and you look at it and you know, and, and it could be, you know, something like that. Uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's ways of assisting the shooter that are, I guess, static would be a way of putting it like a static way of assisting us that could be repeated over and over again. So we're doing the same thing the same way every time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just like with your score sheet where you added the craft part of it where they can plot it right there. It's just a way to help us. Something right. like that. Right, right. And that's also maybe a challenge to the listeners for everybody to be innovative, to try to come up with a better simplified data management system for like an arm board that would improve all that. I, I think that would be pretty cool. Cause that, I, I, yeah, I, I think you're right that innovating towards simplicity, bringing together all these components that we already all know about, but need to do it faster and more efficient. Sometimes instead of more technology, it's just coming up with a clever way of, uh, of solving that, solving that problem. Well, yeah. Like weaponized math. Look at the weaponized right. math. How friggin' stupid simplistic that is and it's unbreakable mm-hmm. i mean it's 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 literally i mean a listener can go out there it, you know take your 400 yard dope and multiply it by 145 tell me that's not your five take your 300 yard dope and multiply it by 1.75 and tell me that's not your four you know that kind of stuff that is it's it's gonna be within the 10th and, you know, take your, what is it like? Uh, I'm trying to think where the eight and nine is like your 800 times 122 maybe is nine. Um, you know, I'd have to cheat it and look, but uh, 
you know, stuff like that. Just how simplistic that is to get you on the plate when, you know, look at a piece of software, you know, what is it? Like 1800 lines of code just Mm -hmm. for something like that. And and it's like, there's 1800 lines of code, but if you multiply 1.0 times 175, there's your 400 yard dope, you know, uh, 400 times 1.45, there's your 500 yard dope, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like who the frig would ever thought something that easy. So, yeah, I mean, there we're, we're missing something because somebody always did it this way. I mean, think of the products that came out of the middle portion of PRS, the rails and rackets and brackets and blocks and things to hold on to a barricade. How many things did they invent for how much money made out of steel to go on a barricade? And now we use a sandbag. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, the blocks, the brackets, the, the, the wedges, Mm-hmm. you know, built into the rifle. And those things were like 400 bucks. If you put that whole thing on there where it had the clamps and then you go and figure out how wide the barricade was and set your clamps and then drop it on and try to clamp your rifle to the barricade. Now we throw a sandbag down. Grandpa <laughs> shot off a sandbag. Right. right, right. For a couple hundred shooters. That, yeah. But I think in the field, yeah, the simplicity, fewer gadgets, um, you know, granted, you know, always going back to the computer. I mean, even even you said just a second ago, like you dope with wet, mopedized math, get everything in the computer, true it, and then prepare something that's then what you take to the field. I think that um, yeah, there's definitely still room room to well, grow with it, that. People get freaked. Like when you tell them, mills were designed for ten yard increments, right? There's 10 times 10 is a hundred for 10 yards, right? So every 10 yards and there's 10 tens between a 10th, it's a mill between hundred yard lines from your four to five and six. And some of those calibers now we're flatter and faster. So it's 0.8, 0.6. It's like a mill at 800 for us now. But in the old days from 400 to 800, it was at a mill, at a mill, at a mill, at a mill, at a mill. And then you had 10 yards between. So if I doped my rifle at 500 yards, and there and there's an animal at 540, add four tenths, and that's my 540 dope. You know what I mean? Because it, it works. Now, MOA is 25 yards. There's four MOA in between 100-yard lines. And every 25 is an MOA to get us to 100. So if it's a 550-yard target, you add two MOA, to your 500 yard dope. And that should be your 550 shot. That's how it used to line up. Now we're faster and flatter and you have to look at where the middle is for some of our calibers. Cause now we're really like 0.8 between hundred yard lines, not right. a mil. So it's four tenths. And so you'll be back in two tenths off the entire thing a little bit, but it still works. If I have a target at 660 and I don't have dope for 660. I add six tenths to my 600 and I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm going to be there, especially with vertical. We got vertical um, that you can play with. So there's, there's all these little things that we knew a hundred years ago that we're not using today that would actually help us today. And 
They kind of, I mean, it's the same thing with the BC method. There's a reason G7 was modeled in 1940. We knew about G7 bullets. There were G7 bullets in the grand shot that, the, right? Uh, there was G7 bullets. We modeled it in 1940. The reason we used G1 for 80 years until Brian Litz was the first number of the G1 BC is wind speed. That was going to tell you how fast your bullet was going to drift like we do today with the BC method, right? Look at the first number of your G1 BC. That's your gun number. Well, what it is, is, is when you flush it all out, a 308, 168 at the time going 2550 or your 30 odd sixes that they were shooting, when you convert it to MOA, turned it into a 10 mile an hour gun. The math comes out to a 10 mile an hour gun, which is why every MOA data book, yada, 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 said 10 miles an hour is because they were shortcutting you 308 dope. But it was just 308 dope from the turn of the century kind of shit, but it changed. But these things were made to assist you. Because when a guy was out in the field, exactly like you're saying, he had to know what he was doing without assistance. Granted, they shot closer because they did personal threats. But it was meant for them to know what was going on based on what they were shooting. If I was shooting a 308 with an MOA scope, I'm a 10-mile-an-hour wind guy. If I'm shooting a 6.5 by 55 and I'm a mill guy, my numbers are one mil every hundred yards with the tents in between, you know, and that's kind of how that shit was meant to work. We just lost some of that. Yeah. So it just hasn't kept up with the refinement of speed and precision and, and, and increasing BC um, yes. numbers without the way to, to mentally manage it as well. Yes. We didn't scale it to the math correct but then we refined it we and then we find just like how you know all of a sudden everybody goes well wait a minute 0.1 0.2 0.3 0.4 0.5 0.6 holy shit it lines up that's been around for 100 years they just lost it nobody paid attention why because in the u.s we didn't shoot mills and in europe it was what the farmer did yeah i mean that that's fun to me that and it's exciting just to just to, to think back and look and see how those numbers lined up. And, and now all we got to do is reline some numbers and think about things in terms of the applications that we're using it for now and come up with, with, you know, 2023 version of, of some of these rules of thumb. Yes. Um, yeah. Which, which is uh, I, that to me, that kind of innovation is really exciting. Well, and, and where you kind of come in and, and push this is, is cause and effect. You're out there looking at every cause and effect where most people might be crunching numbers or looking at it on paper. You're going out and shooting all of this cause and effect, cause and effect, you know, and and we see it. It's just, you know, like I'm doing other things with the classes and stuff. So I see cause and effect and I fix it in my context, but it never really disseminates out wider unless you came to class. You know, and that's, and then, you know, then we pair you and I together. Now you start talking about it and it starts going out on a wider, you know, and now you start lighting up other ideas and other light bulbs around other people. 
And next thing you know, we're, we're changing the way we do things. Mm-hmm. Right. And, it, and it's exciting because the, the level of interest in this is it, it spans from very, very high to the everyday shooter. Everybody wants to be involved in this. And I think that that says something because everybody knows that we need it as a community, as, as people that like to shoot, there's, there's better ways to look at this. And, and I feel like this is definitely the, the way. Well, the world's so, broken so. right now and our time is valuable, you mm-hmm. know? So we, we don't have the time to go out and chase every idea and find the perfect one. So we can boil them all down and say, Hey man, we really think today, this is the simplest way to do this. And this is going to be successful for you where, you know, six years from now, it might change again. But right now, this is where we are. And if you're that, you know, working guy out there, you can't do this. If you can get this part done, you'll be that much better off without chasing every idea that comes around. Right. Right. So cool, man. Okay. I got to start my. Yeah, my, my little munchkin roundup. But um, you, you go do man, that. This was I'm awesome. Good. We got to do this more often because uh, even if I can't spin over, I was going to say you only live twenty minutes. Right. Away. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But but it's amazing how like you know that adds forty minutes. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. When you have ninety minutes, the the forty minutes. I, I mean, shit. We should. I should not be lazy. Did I, did I ever tell you that we had these toads move in? I'm going to turn the, do you, can you see the cameras on? Yeah, I guess I got everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's like, I don't know if you could see him. Yeah. I see him. Like in the sand, there's like this toad that moved in and uh, he's freaking crazy. He's like the size of a softball. He's a huge fat toad. He lives in our window. Well, <laughs> that's nice. Nice. Do you feed him and give him water and take care of him? Throw some crickets. Well, dude, it's crazy. So like it's a sunken window well in mm-hmm. the garage so, so i leave the light on in here and in the evening with the light the in here all the bugs fly to the window and he just sits on the windowsill and just gorges himself i was gonna say you ought to get him with some of the grasshoppers from the range man those things are big that's that'll give him a meal i know i mean i'm already bringing home 100 flies a day out there yeah that too <laughs> i had grasshoppers from the range in the garage i moved some stuff and the grasshoppers came out from under the car all right uh, man. the fly tape was a good idea yeah right, good talk i'm gonna hit this stuff yeah. All right. All right. We'll take this and uh, yeah, carry it back over to the phone. Something hey. like that. All right. I'll talk to you soon. You got it. Later. Bye.